Bonjour, hoş geldiniz. Sabah. Welcome to the Drone Core podcast. How are you? Are you all very well? I hope that you are. I'm feeling much better since two weeks ago when I recorded my uh, recorded the story story drawing um, podcast number seven. Uh, I got ill again after that. Didn't rest enough. Recovering again now. Um, but I'm I'm feeling much better. I hope that uh, if anyone else had this sickness, many many people have been ill in the last few weeks that I have known about and um, not been responsible for, by the way. Just, uh, it seems like people's bodies are not quite ready for winter. Seems to be the case. Uh, so we're, we're, we're trialing by fire. After everyone gets better, we'll be ready for winter. Our bodies know what to do. Also didn't record a podcast last week. Apologies for that. I did uh, speak the podcast for 45 sweet minutes and then realized that I hadn't pressed record, which is one of those things you don't believe actually will happen and then it does and it's just as annoying as it ever could have been. Uh, and it was already late by the time I had done it, but uh, by this time, so I, uh, and I had a very busy weekend in store, so I, I took the self care option and I cancelled last week's podcast. But I'm not getting lax. We're back on weekly podcasts. Um, just to sort of a quick check-in, um, if you didn't know, there's an Instagram account now, there's a Facebook account, There's uh, this is on iTunes and Spotify and uh, Player FM, and it's hosted on hearthis.at. Uh, it's, all, it's all out there. Um, I'm going to try and spread it a little bit more slowly, slowly. If any, if any, if you can do anything to do that, if you have any friends you'd like to uh, share it with, you think they might like it a little bit, uh, you just want to post it to your Facebook to say you're enjoying it or whatever, please, uh, please do that. That would be grand. That would be really good for me. It's still not monetized. I'm just doing it because I'm passionate about it and it gives me a, a really nice channel to work out some ideas and present something to you and be performative in a way that I I, I like. Um, the Join Core podcast is you know, trying not to take any authority. It's like a conversation, but it's a curated conversation. So like a, like a voice message I'm leaving you that I've spent time and effort to make nice and make interesting. So if you dig in that vibe, Please give me a hand to, sh- to, to spread it and uh, engage with it on all the different channels that you, you fancy. Um, the more crack we have together, the more the podcast will snowball and my enthusiasm will snowball and we'll, we'll keep going forever and ever and we'll have really lovely time. Thank you for being here and for listening. I really do appreciate it every second that you give to it. Um, you can drop in at any point obviously no no podcast is following on from another uh, although I might talk mention things I mentioned before it's none of it's necessary we're doing a different kind of topic every time 
and um, this this time this this time's topic is um, I'm gonna share with you a poetry film review. Now, poetry film reviews are something that I've done for a, for a while. I haven't done them for a, very much for a long time, but uh, they have they've been a fang. They've been a fang um, for, for for a number of years. It's uh, it was because I um, I used to really love reading film magazines, and <clears throat> as I grew older and maybe more discerning in my engagement with those same magazines I started to feel like they were engaging with the movie in, a, in for, for me a, a sort of shallow way it was sort of a very simple score out of 10 or out of 5 stars and it was uh, acting is good, direction is good, script is good or bad, whatever but it was just very binary, simple like, it wasn't much exploration of the movies there is one magazine which I would recommend for anyone interested in anyone who finds that similar maybe itch to dig a little deeper in their uh, movie review reading called Sight and Sound uh, they they give kind of critiques of movies where they sort of explore something that's interesting about it and they don't uh, they don't give a they don't give a score no they don't give a score to movies certainly <clears throat> they give you an indication if yeah if it's good or not, but uh, I I like this um, more dynamic engagement with the film because uh, piece, films as pieces of art they are dynamic and they have a lot of depth and you can always say quite a lot about them and that's more interesting to me than uh, whether it's good or not whether it's not where it's it's more interesting to me than simply whether it's good or not. And I, um, I was interested in finding if anyone else is doing film reviews in a different format to normal, and I found very little. And I decided to review films in poetry. And again, they're not reviews uh, out of to, to just to simply tell you if film's good or not. It's an exploration of something interesting about that film. And I like it especially because. It's like one piece of art is helping or inspiring to create another piece of art. And I think that's really what, what you're doing regardless when you engage with a piece of art. So all of those reviews are, are pieces of art themselves. I just wanted to, to use my art, to use poetry, which I find is an interesting medium. So it's appropriate to do an interesting film review in an interesting medium, and thus was born uh, Poetry Film Reviews. And um, I, I will put a link to uh, some other Poetry Film Reviews if you want to check it out. I'm also thinking of making a physical thing of Poetry Film Reviews. Um, <clears throat> later in the year like next month I mean the year's getting pretty late already but yeah so if I, if I do that I will definitely be telling you on the podcast um, but I'm not just sharing poetry film review with you today I have a kind of I have a kind of it's not really a hot take it's more of a 
more of an opinion I want to push out there, bit of a discussion, some ideas. It's not something I'm sort of fiercely needing to defend, but um, I like. I, I want to share this with you because it makes me excited to think about uh, these things, and uh, it's very much reflected in the poetry film review, or it's a reflection of the poetry film review. They're both reflections of each other. It's an endless hall of mirrors this week, and I'm gonna. Yeah, we're gonna. So we're gonna look at. A, we're gonna look at a poetry film review for a Jim Jarmusch film called Dead Man. All right, and uh, I give you the. I give you the little um, Shay plot summary. On the run after murdering a man. Accountant William Blake encounters a Native American man named Nobody who prepares him for his journey into the spiritual world. Pretty sure that's all you need to know. This isn't going to be a very spoiler-heavy podcast. Um, so we're going to go. I'm going to go straight in. It's a poetry film review. This is Dead Man. Is a vessel carrying the dead out to sea empty? If its edges are plumed and its walls inlaid, painted and perfumed, although it bears nobody, is it not full of someone's story? Out of the postcard frame, the magnificent isn't seen, but we find our mise-en-scene at no cost to the landscape, the silence in between, the space left blank, the whisper that never passes the lips. That was a fucking poetry film review. <clears throat> and I will come back to it. But I want to talk about, I want to champion ambiguous films, okay? So I've, I've got, I've got a kind of running argument here. So uh, if you want to, if you want to jump on the ambiguous films train, first stop. I, I, don't, I don't have a name for the first stop. I feel like I should have said like, you know, first stop. Mystery Town, but I don't have titles in my head for the sections of this podcast, so you'll uh, forgive me for having there being no stops on this train, it being more or less a continual uh, train announcement. I wanted to, I wanted to think about. I was thinking about how we are, we are given more options these days, or like we are given quite a lot of options day to day but this is um, usually in a sense of market choice or consumer choice not creative choice uh, and it's easy to think we are empowered as consumers and in the market but if we're only empowered as consumers and not creators there becomes a divide between a consumer and cons- consumption and creation so I, th- I was thinking about like an extreme point of this 
um, might be uh, social media where in fact you do a lot of content creation but um, that itself is transformed into production and into work and into more consumption as it feeds back to you with adverts so the, the world of uh, cult, the cultural world the cultural landscape is very much being weighed down on the consumer choice side of the spectrum and it's sinking under this weight of consumption and the creation and the creative side is, is sort of neglected and when the scales tip away from creativity like this and towards consumption people are we are treated as more like resources as components of production so like in the social media you are you are literally a producer of the content but also as a consumer you are just a component of production so this in itself is a lack of respect towards the audience and we can see this continuing uh, this disrespect in the cultural productions themselves i.e in art So this is my this is my starting point, right? I don't feel very respected watching mainstream movies. I feel like I'm being treated as a consumer, and yeah, I have choice, but I don't feel very creative in that choice. The choice is very limited. Hmm. So it's increasingly rare in in cinemas, like because cinemas are increasingly. Um, Cinemas are increasingly rare, but cinemas are increasingly showing much more mainstream movies and there's much less independent movies that are available for us to watch, I think. This is my observation. So it's increasingly rare in cinemas to have opportunities to think for yourself when you're watching a film, or even when reflecting after you've watched a film. We're more likely to be handed a simple narrative simple, familiar, uh, closed. These narratives are like less financial risk. They satisfy superficially because they require less engagement. They require less engagement because they follow a recognizable structure and because everything is clearly explained and because the resolution at the end of the film reestablishes the status quo. So they say that like when you read if you're um, reading screenplays, if people are submitting screenplays to you, uh, those screenplays, they will read like uh, the first, I think it's seven to nine pages. Because with this uh, recognizable structure that is very dominant in the film industry, you should be able to tell more or less how the story will wrap up in the first seven to nine minutes. So you know the arc of the film because it's familiar to you. Uh, you, you know what is the status quo and you know there's a problem so you know that that problem is going to be resolved at the end and the status quo will be re-established and everything will be very clear and explained and you don't need to worry don't worry we got your brain covered you can turn it off for an hour and a half watch explosions and things and you know the crack so films with more risk that are less um so, so those films are uh, financially less risky and films that are more risky that are more ambiguous less familiar less simple less closed 
so less absolute. Those kind of films would encourage us to consider the content more fully and to engage more deeply and we would, we would, there would be questions that are raised that we would have to ponder, we would have to work more watching the film and therefore I think you can expect to feel more respected because you are actively participating in the art. Yani, it doesn't mean that you have to you have to work out what's going on like a puzzle necessarily but you just have to you're encouraged to think a little more you're not encouraged to turn off your brain but many mainstream films are brain turn off films and they they are designed not to be controversial not to be confusing not to be ambiguous not to be um, breaking any expectations so I thought a good way to illustrate this is stand-up comedy because in um, in England for certain but um, I think also in America in sorry in US and uh, when you think about how those two places dominate stand-up comedy we could even say globally the mainstream current mainstream um, style of stand-up comedy is observational comedy where you kind of, in the most typical, in the most cheesy example, it's like, isn't it funny how your toaster always burns the bread? Isn't it funny how you can never get your shower to the right temperature, it's always a bit too hot or a bit too cold? And so there exists this divide between observational comedy, which is mainstream and, and very, very, there's lots of it, and it's very popular, or it has a lot of airtime versus alternative comedy which is a very which is a much broader umbrella of comedic style but um, it's, it's just alternative to that mainstream and Stuart Lee who is a who has been a champion and a kind of figurehead of alternative comedy for a number of years now he uh, wrote about this a little bit um, and I just want to pick out one thing that he said um, in, a, in a reference to observational comedy. He said, some art to exists to reaffirm what we already know. And some art exists to ask questions. One is not necessarily easier to create than the other, but one clearly has more value. So what he's saying is that like some some art exists to reaffirm what we already know. Some art is simple, familiar, closed, not ambiguous, not confusing, and it's like observational comedy. It's just like we have we have a mirror and we're like, yes, I my experience is valid. Great, I can go home and get on with that life. But some art exists to ask questions, where there is more ambiguity. There's less absolutes. <clears throat> maybe things are more confusing or are more controversial so it does challenge you and Stuart Lee's opinion is uh, that that is that has more value um, <clears throat> and I, I share this opinion and I want to uh, now I want to read another quote now from someone else who I think would share the same opinion so Ursula Le Guin is a science fiction writer who died a year ago um, she's um, perhaps most famous for writing um, the fantasy series um, uh, Tales from Earthsea. 
Tales from Earthsea, Tales of Earthsea. You find it if you've got the words Tales and Earthsea, I'm sure. Also, she wrote Left Hand of Darkness. She wrote a lot of sci-fi as well, Left Hand of Darkness, where um, a character goes to a planet in which there is there there is not a binary gender. Uh, uh, a book called The Dispossessed, where there's a planet uh, up upon which um, there's no way of own there's no concept of ownership um she has weighed in many times on the stigma of fantasy stories compared to realist stories and she says hard times are coming when we'll be wanting the voices of writers who can see alternatives to how we live now can see through our fear-stricken society and its obsessive technologies to other ways of being and even imagine real grounds for hope. We'll need writers who can remember freedom, poets, visionaries, realists of a larger reality. So again, she's pointing to art that exists that asks questions. Uh, to, so that to challenge and to expand horizons, to see alternatives, to find answers, and you can you can hear how uh, she thinks this is so vital in these hard times that are coming. So if we go back to art that might exist to, on the other hand, reaffirm what we already know, art that's not controversial, not confusing, not ambiguous, not breaking expectations, not. Um, asking questions. There's another reason I think this kind of art has um, less value. I'm doing uh, inverted commas in the air, you obviously can't see that. Uh, quote unquote less value. That's what people say, isn't it? Quote unquote less value. So, like all art necessarily makes statements about the world or society, people, whatever. There's not, you can't be just simply apolitical. Uh, when you're creating art, because to strive to be apolitical is in itself a political standpoint. Um, this, this is lots of people will take this for granted, but lots of people, um, <clears throat> when you argue that uh, this film is saying X, Y, Z, they won't want to engage with that because it, they don't want the politics. Like to keep your politics out of my art is the kind of um, a political standpoint which as I said it doesn't really make sense because that itself is a, is a politics and we don't always have to be um, deciding what the ultimate point of a piece of art is we can just be exploring what statements we can find in it and we can argue how much they're intentional but in the end if we can demonstrate convincingly that a piece of art makes a certain statement it can be true uh, anyways it doesn't can be true even if the artist didn't intend that. So in those films which have a closed narrative, with a, with a resolution that re-establishes the status quo, we can usually see statements made by the film in the way it resolves. For example, the goodies are courageous and liberal and friendly and funny. The baddies are greedy and mean and selfish and aggressive. And then when the goodies vanquish the baddies by way of a happy ending, this resolution is a statement that values the qualities of the goodies and makes them aspirational. Whereas the qualities of the baddies are shown to be negative and undesirable and they should be gotten rid of. 
so if a film is making these statements but it wants to avoid confusion and controversy wants to reaffir reaffirm what we already know so as to avoid yani, rocking the boat uh, again there's there's less financial risk to doing this and a film like this might be more likely to reflect conservative views of society kind of safe bets for not riling ruffling any feathers so not only might we be more respected by more ambiguous films we might also hope for more progressive politics to emerge when we participate in them um, Ursula Le Guin again says books aren't just commodities the profit motive is often in conflict with the aims of art we live in capitalism its power seems inescapable but then so did the divine right of kings any human power can be resisted and changed by human beings resistance and change often begin in art there's a need for these, um, this, these, these more ambiguous films there's a need to go against the grain of these films that just want to reaffirm what we already know now I want to bring another fantasy writer in here J.R.R. Tolkien now Tolkien uh, reiterates again the divide between art that is explicit and art which leaves some mystery now I've said that art which leaves some mystery can be more respectful towards its audience can provide more progressive politics Tolkien goes further to say that art which leaves some things um, unexplained is more attractive somehow better art and I like linking two fantasy writers into this because I know I'm talking about film because I want to try and stay on this being a, a thing about film because of the poetry film review um, but I don't really see where the line is between um, film and fiction, film and say, film and prose fiction, film and novel, film and story, whatever. And I particularly like linking these fantasy writers because I, I personally believe in the vitality of fantastical art. As Ursula said, like we we, we need writers of a larger reality. Like, it's important to fantasize. To, to do to find those um, to find that art which exists to ask questions we need to we, we can use fantasy so Tolkien says uh, he, he's writing here to his uh, son and he's reflecting on the Silmarillion so after writing Lord of the Rings in which there is lots of uh, history of Middle-earth which is alluded to or mentioned he wrote, he wrote that history in the Silmarillion. That's a kind of detailed account of all that stuff that was just mentioned, just passed by in Lord of the Rings. And it, it wasn't as successful, it wasn't as popular. Um, and uh, he expresses maybe a reason why this is in, in this quotation. I am doubtful myself about the undertaking Part of the attraction of the Lord of the Rings is, I think, due to the glimpses of a large history in the background. An attraction like that of viewing far off an unvisited island, or seeing the towers of a distant city gleaming in a sunlit mist. To go there is to destroy the magic, 
unless new unattainable vistas are again revealed. So I hope that I've um, spoken enough about art which is ambiguous, art which is leaving some mystery, art which is existing to ask questions, art that does want to challenge and be controversial or be confusing, requires you to use your brain. Um, I, 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 <laughs> I have a distinct feeling that um, the threads of my argument are spilling away a little bit. So I hope this is this is easy enough to follow. I'm having fun. <laughs> I'll go back to my poetry film review. So, Dead Man by Jim, Jim Jarmusch. Is a vessel carrying the dead out to sea empty? If its edges are plumed and its walls inlaid, painted and perfumed, although it bears nobody, is it not full of someone's story? Outside the postcard frame, the magnificent isn't seen, but we find our mise-en-scene at no cost to the landscape. The silence in between, the space left blank, the whisper that never passes the lips. <clears throat> so when I was uh, reading up about Dead Man, looking at some reviews and things, uh, and looking especially at people who didn't like it, uh, my attention was drawn to I don't know if you heard that noise, a very strange noise in the background there. I have no idea what that was. Um, when I was reading about Dead Man, my attention was drawn to how much is left unsaid, how much is slow or confusing, how much brooding there is in the film, how much is not really clear. There is a, some magical realist elements to it. There is some, there is a character development which sort of happens off screen a little bit. Um, there is dialogue which is quite um, distinctly unproductive and uh, to draw meaning out of it is is quite um, fluid it's quite fluid if that makes sense. And so I became a little bit, I, I, I very much loved the film and I definitely recommend anyone to watch it. But I became very much more enthralled with, with that aspect of it. And I read about how um, Jim Jarmusch and the director of photography uh, scouted, the, scouted the locations and when they would see a beautiful postcard view, they would uh, be like, oh, that's great. Okay, how do we film here so that's not in shot? They deliberately took out of the shot uh, that big, that major scene. So there's there's space, you know. It's left out. There's silence. There's things that aren't said. This this is what I became interested in, and then it got my mind rolling about all of these things, and then I recorded a huge fucking podcast about it. Um. 
So I hope you see a little more in this poem now. I've kind of explained a poem to you, which is quite nice. I mean, it's sort of, I haven't really explained poetry to people very much. And I'd like to also um, mention Taoism and like back to episode six of the podcast, which was about doing nothing. And the Taoist teaching of the, the great nothing tries to express the idea that um, we should empty our minds of unnecessary bullshit. That's, that's crude, but let's just, just keep it simple. But the great nothing is not itself like emptiness or a lack, it is full. So although the coffin bears nobody, it is full of someone's story. The Native American man um, with whom we spend a lot of time in the movie is called Nobody. He is like an absence, and he the character is also a reject whose life makes kind of little sense, and whom the main character William Blake often fails to understand. But it is nobody who guides William Blake through his journey, and it's he who provides what is necessary, and it's it's also he, and by extension, Native American people at large, who is acted upon by the colonial forces of settlers in the United States. So it tells a there's a colonial um, theme in Dead Man, and uh, we it expresses itself partly through this person, nobody. Um, so there's a vagueness to that whole theme, and there's a ambiguity that makes you really need to use your mind and ask questions to work out what's going on there between the Native American people and the. the the citizen, the, the citizen, the settlers are uh, coming to the United States. Um, yeah, and I'm, and I'm not going to go into the movie really because I don't want to spoil any of it. I want you to watch it. I went into the movie in a slightly dense, abstract way, but I hope it was fun. And I wanted to end on a quote from Jim Jarmusch, drawing attention to how Hollywood divides mainstream movies and art movies uh, in order to make the art movies seem a bit shit and not popular and promote mainstream movies um, but in light, of, in light of all this I, I encourage us, me, me included to pursue more so-called art movies because these are the ones that challenge us these are the ones that respect us more as audience these are where we find more progressive politics and where we can imagine more magic and perhaps find some answers to difficult questions. My films are ghettoized by being called art movies. When people describe a rock and roll group as art rock, I want to put on Motorhead. But then I wonder why is that? What's wrong with art? But then they will make anything a dirty word to make commerce and corporate control the priority. That's Hollywood. Who has the most powerful agent and how much money can the lawyers suck out of the above the line? It's one of the most overpaid of any field in America entertainment. The Academy Awards. Why don't we have awards for short order cooks or bus drivers? <clears throat> thus, thus ends um, the defense of ambiguous movies. How what time are we on? 36 minutes. Not bad. 
I feel a bit like I can take a breather now. That was slightly intense. I'm going to listen back to that and uh, a large part of my mind is thinking yeah when you listen back to that you're going to be like oh that's not clear at all um, and if not then um, and, and if it isn't clear then I will record it again but if it is clear then you will get this nice uh, little window into my doubting mind uh, which I'm expressing right now let's, let's have a song still putting off the hardcore techno podcast and therefore still putting off the hardcore techno There's, this song has been in my head and I've played it over and over again for a number of days now I am very much in love with it and uh, it's uh, by Flogging Molly who I've got very into this uh, band from from Ireland and America and I did want to say something about Flogging Molly which I discovered incidentally after deciding that this would be the song so I I like their story because um, the lead singer, um, he was in a, a number of rock bands and worked with some people who went on to become <clears throat> famous in other bands and he was like, you know, he had a good, good thing going, had a record deal, but they didn't want him, they wouldn't let him bring traditional Irish instruments in to, to recording sessions. So he uh, negotiated his way out of his contract and um, uh, set up his own band with Irish instruments and all that and started making music as, um, well, I'm not, I'm not sure when they took on the name, but started what would become Flogging Molly. And uh, they've always released on independent record labels and they now have their own record label. They are quite famous uh, by, this, by now by now by now times they are quite famous but their first album was a live record um, which I just think is really nice um, I think people often think about bands working up to their first album which they uh, curate and craft and whatever you know these these people uh, flogging Molly the reason they're called that is because they played a venue called Molly's something Molly's I don't know every Monday and they, they felt they were like flogging it to death like they were just all the time playing the same venue but like they were they were like stalwart live act so they released a live album uh, in appropri- uh, very appropriately and uh, it's kind of raw and exciting and cool and then um, I'm going to play you a song from their, from their first studio album uh, which is also on the live album but going to the other end of their timeline to now what they do now is something called salty dog cruises uh, it's like they do a cruise with um, it's like a festival on a cruise ship with some uh, kind of similarly shouty slightly punky bands and <clears throat> um, I was very my my red flags went up and I was like cruises are not good for the environment and I, I, I in order to slightly deepen my knowledge of that uh, fact I looked uh, and I, I found an article on cruisecritic.co.uk which looked at 16 different companies and their um, their efforts to be more environmentally friendly most of it was like ah oh, they don't have plastic straws anymore 
and they have a conscious crew because they inform the crew about how to recycle and da 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 da, da which is you know, good stuff but like the, the problem with cruise ships is they're massive fucking double-decker bus-sized diesel engines right and very very few like four out of 16 companies had any information about how they were changing their fuel and um, P&O big massive com ferry company P&O they use uh, some of their fuel is liquefied natural gas which is much more efficient but Yanni it's still a fossil fuel and right now we are still in the Extinction Rebellion fortnight where Extinction Rebellion are standing up to fight with governments about uh, climate change and the reason this group is uh, existing and doing what it's doing is because it's it's fucking we need to stop this we need to not use more LNG instead of um, instead of diesel we need to use none of that shit we need to stop before before uh, we all die and there's a there's a, a company a cruise company called Herdy Gruten um, which is a great name um, they have hybrid ships with some electricity um, but otherwise you know like cruises are not good if you or anyone you know is going on a cruise do you know just mention to them do you know how much cruises are polluting our seas our oceans and obviously uh, the salty dog cruises are no different they do have a picture on the website of a pirate ship with an Irish flag but no the the cruise ship that they use is called Serenade of the Seas and it looks like any other fucking big white massive cruise ship and interestingly sponsored by Whoopi Goldberg so if you didn't know uh, a ship sponsored by tradition is a female civilian who is invited to sponsor a vessel presumably to bestow good luck and divine protection over the seagoing vessel and all that sail aboard if you didn't I didn't I read, got that from Wikipedia, didn't know that before. In the US Navy and the US Coast Guard, the sponsor is technically considered a permanent member of the ship's crew and is expected to give a part of her personality to the ship, as well as advocate for its continued service and well-being. For passenger ships, the sponsor is called a godmother if the sponsor is female or a godfather if the sponsor is male. So Whoopi Goldberg is the godmother of the salty dog cruises um, that's just a sort of series of interesting facts I think um, and I also found out that Whoopi Goldberg applied to be Doctor Who so don't go on cruises um, if you're Whoopi Goldberg don't sponsor cruise ships if, uh, if you like flogging Molly go and see them on land um, on a slightly more eco eco-friendly in, in slightly more eco-friendly circumstances anyway this song is called um, if I ever leave this world alive and it's about grief <coughs> um, broadly yani. like it's it's a rather ambiguous song uh, it has a lot of, you can draw your meaning from it um, I encourage you to think about what it means. I have my interpretation, which means a lot to me. As like I said, I fell in fell in love with this song last week, and it's about not being there. It's about this absence 
and it's somehow about how not being there could be a positive thing or at least something to accept. It's also about emptiness, a lack, a gap, and so I hope it ties in nicely to what we talked about today. Um, thank you very much for joining again, and take very, very good care of yourselves this week. Gzalbakandne, opurum sizi, opurum sizi. I love you lots and lots and lots. Um, take good care of yourself and take good care of other people be kind to yourself be kind to other people Um, enjoy uh, flogging molly and i'll see you uh, next week Says, I'm okay. <laughs>